You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Our passage this morning is found in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 11, and it's going to go through verse 19. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to become. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You guys can go to have a seat. The group we're going to pray for today and this week um, is Life Choice Pregnancy Center. So, um, Father God, we lift up this organization to you, an organization that provides hope uh, in times of uncertainty for so many people. We ask that you help them deliver a message of life, a life that you can give, and a life that you um, speak into all of us, that hope that only you can provide. We ask that we reflect on that especially this time of year. We also ask that you be with Keith as he delivers a message of hope as well. And we thank you. Amen. Good morning. All right. So uh, Christmas Eve is coming, right? I just found out our second service, there are five seats available left for registering. There are in our first service, which is mask mandatory, if you can get, if you can wear masks, do the service. There are 50 seats available for that, and then um, the third service. Uh, my guess is it's more than, you know, or less than 50 seats that are available. In fact, I, I heard that they're fill, that's filling up pretty quickly too. So, be sure to register. You can even take out your phone now if you want to register, and I think you can do it on your phone. Go to our website and click on the link register. Um, for whatever service you want to be, uh, that you want to attend. If uh, the second service fills up and the third service fills up, then you can go to the first service. But my guess is the reason why you're in this service is because you don't want to wear a mask in the first service. So anyway, there we go. I said it. Who is uh, the one person in your life that gets you? You know what I mean by that? Like, they under, that person understands you, you trust that person, you, you, know, you look forward to being around that person. Who is that person in your life that gets you, right? Um, hopefully it's your spouse. If not, then you know, I do offer counseling. Uh, I do like four sessions. It's free. Uh, you could set it up for after I get back from vacation in uh, early January. But uh, maybe maybe... There's somebody else too. Maybe maybe it's a friend. Maybe maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a sister. 
Maybe it's a sibling, like a bro, well, I already said brother or sister. Maybe it's, maybe it's like your neighbor. I don't, I don't, but who is it that, that gets you? I've had, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I feel like we have a really good marriage. I, I feel that way with my wife. I like being around her. I, I feel like I can trust her with, with uh, almost everything, right? <laughs> there's always, there's something in you. This is, this is my point. There's something in us, even with those that get you, there's something deep down that you're not even sure you could share that with that person without that person thinking differently about you. Right? A thought, maybe something in your past. Um, and as I'm asking this question, who, who in your life gets you, maybe, maybe you're still hemorrhaging over a broken relationship. Maybe it was a marriage, maybe it was a boyfriend-girlfriend, Maybe a friendship. I've had those in my life too that have ended, and I still, I still feel the pain uh, of that. But who gets you? Now, when, when we come to Matthew 11, there, there's just so much here, it's impossible for me to just unpack everything about this passage. But, but, um, but I want to focus on the fact that, that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And, and the context of this is really a question that was asked by somebody that you wouldn't expect to ask this question, and it's a question asked by John the Baptist. He, he was in prison, and um, he had called out Herod for uh, taking his, his brother's wife and making his sister-in-law his wife. John the Baptist uh, was in prison. Herod said, well, if you're not going to shut up, I'm going I'm to lock you up. And, and that's what happened. Uh, and so what we learn from just this little interaction that Jesus has about John the Baptist is, is this, and this is my first point, Jesus is faithful to the unfaithful. Because, you, you know, if, if this question came from the religious leaders, then, you know, Jesus expected that. You, you know, we expect that. If it, if it came from his disciples, well, his disciples had some questions about Jesus, and, not always, and they not always understood what Jesus was saying. But for this to come from John the Baptist, who... who you know, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then to ask this question, he, say, he sent his disciples to ask this question of Jesus, um, you know, where he says, you know, are, you, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? It's kind of a weird question coming from a guy who was in the wilderness preaching about this coming, this Messiah who's coming, and then when Jesus appeared, he said, this is the one, this is the one I've been talking about. And to, just to be fair to John, it, he's not the only one in the Bible, the only, he's not the only prophet in the Bible who experienced discouragement, some doubts, like Elijah was another guy. Some lady said, a queen, said, I'm going to kill you, and he ran and hid in the cave, hid in the cave for a while, you know. Uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said that where John the Baptist was locked up was in a fortress. It was about five miles north of um, the Dead Sea, where, where it was exceptionally hot. And I think the whole area is just hot, uh, ridiculously hot, like Arizona sometimes, right? But it was, in this one area, it's exceptionally hot. So he's there, he's locked up, he's alone, probably beat up, used up, emotionally drained. And so, you know, I, I want to be fair to him. John was discouraged. And he asked this question, are you the one? 
Because last I checked, the Messiah was going to come to do some things. Like John understood and, and, and knew Isaiah chapter 61, the first two verses. Uh, I'll have the words on the screen and I'll, I'll read them for you. He, he said, it says this, um, well actually let me back up, because John the Baptist actually prophesied about, about the Messiah. He said not only would Jesus come to, to uh, you know, he said, I come to baptize with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he went on to say uh, that the one who's coming is also going, going to judge the nations. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Right? John said, so the Messiah is coming to judge, and he understood Isaiah 61, and that's the next passage I want to show you, uh, which says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, remember that, liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, in Luke chapter 4, when, John, when Jesus, so Luke records this, that Jesus, when Jesus launched his ministry, when he went public, he went to church, which was synagogue for him, on Saturday, and he was assigned the reading of the day, which was an Isaiah scroll. They handed it to Jesus, Jesus opened it up, and he read it. And when he read it, he read, it was Isaiah 61. That was the passage that, it was, that he was assigned to read. He read almost everything that is on the screen that are in these two verses, but he ended mid-sentence and he excluded from the reading the day of the vengeance of our God. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it to the attendant, sat down, and I think that's why all eyes were on Jesus. That's what we're told. Every, all the eyes were fixed on him, like, hello? Like, you didn't even finish the sentence. And then Jesus said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they wanted to kill him. Like that's when they he started talking about Gentiles and like, oh, that's it. And then they tried to throw him off a cliff, and Jesus uh, escaped. So, so John was familiar with that passage. I don't think he was there when Jesus read Isaiah and left out that one little part about the day of the vengeance of God. Because the reason why Jesus left it out, he said, is is because he came first to call sinners to himself. And then uh, before he would be coronated as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, when, it, when he returned, he had to go to a cross first. And then when he comes back as king, he will judge the nations. Then that second part of Isaiah 61, verse 2, will be fulfilled. So what did Jesus do? What, what did he say to John? Did he say, John, you're quarantined right now. You, you got all the time in the world to pray. You're locked up. You should pray more. You should uh, remember those Bible verses that you grew up reading that mom and dad, you know, pointed to you. You just got to, you know, what's up? I mean, you, you, you don't have enough faith. Like, did he do any of that? No. You know what he did? He, he said, hey, listen, go back to John, and this is what I want you to tell him. And if you have your Bible, this is in your Bible. I won't be on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. This is Jesus. He says, he said this, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Yep, that, that was happening, right? People, that, definitely Jesus was doing that. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. Yep, that happened and is happening. 
and, and the dead are raised up. Yep, I mean, there was a little girl uh, that Jesus raised from the dead. I believe her name was Tabitha. And later on, Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead. Definitely, uh, there are some dead people who are being raised by Jesus. And, and the poor have good news preached to them. Meaning, he, Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel to those who will hear. Well, that's happening. And blessed, are, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Uh, what did he leave out in that statement? He said nothing about prisoners being let go. Do you, do you know why? He said, listen, John, I am the Messiah. You were right about me. I am the Messiah, but you're not getting out of prison. And it will not end well for you. You're going to die. I think between, reading between the lines, that's what Jesus was telling John. I think what's going on here, one of the things that this passage reminds us of is that not, not everything goes according to the way we want it to go. Right? Like, I mean, you're already thinking. Yeah, that, like that relationship thing you're talking about, that, that didn't go the way that I, I wanted it to go. My life I, didn't go the way that I was hoping it would go. I got a friend, who's dying, a guy I know, who, who spoke at one of the youth group uh, retreats that, that we hosted when I was involved with youth ministry back when I was younger and had hair. Like, that he's dying of cancer right now. Um, and he's walking with the Lord. In fact, on, on Thanksgiving, he hosted a thing in his house on discipleship. Anybody could come. This is the last thing I'm doing, and, and God used them. I get goosebumps when I think about the, the, the blog post or e-letter that he sent out. Uh, his one child tested positive with COVID. They were supposed to go to Aruba. Last trip, probably together. Things don't go always the way we want them to go. And for John, it wasn't going the way that he had envisioned, I guess. Maybe he was thinking the Messiah would come, Jesus would set up his kingdom, and everything would be great, and he wouldn't be in prison, or at least he would be let out of prison. It didn't happen. It didn't happen with John. Um, but the one thing that Jesus didn't do here is, like with the religious leaders, he said, Jesus had some harsh things to say about the religious leaders. With his disciples, every once in a while, they would say something stupid or do something stupid, and he would say, where's your faith, right? But with John, he did none of that. He just said, go back and tell John, you were right about me. I am the Messiah. I'm not yet going to judge the nations. That's another time. You're not getting out of prison, John. And then, and then after that, he just, he just lifts John up. He said, there's nobody like John. Nobody, nobody ever liked John. He, he, he's definitely a, a, a man of God, and, and God used him profoundly and greatly. And then Jesus, he goes, he goes into this, and some questions, like when, when you went out to see John, what did you expect? Because some of you expected not what you saw, right? Like, like John was dressed up in camel's hair. Like who does that? Hangs out in the wilderness doing some angry preaching. Like who, who does that? And it, Some people. But, but eats locusts and honey. Like he didn't fit the stereotype. And, and Jesus didn't fit the stereotype either. So Jesus said, you know, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Like, he's either possessed or crazy because of the way he looked. 
And for the Son of Man, the Messiah, came eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now some people, like the religious leaders, like some of the Pharisees, meant that as an insult. But that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to save those, to seek and save those who are lost. And um, God bless you. Uh, and so he said, last service I had a baby who was um, at a really great point. Uh, said, just not cried, just yelled out, and I said, amen, and that was funny. So, um, but John, so, so John didn't fit the stereotype. Jesus didn't fit, fit the stereotype uh, because people really honestly expected, okay, so this guy who's going to prepare the way for the king of kings and lord of lords, he's like, he doesn't look like what we envisioned him. And the Messiah, he's hanging out with sinners. Like they're not supposed, Messiahs aren't supposed to do that. And not a whole lot has changed. Like we tend to think either we are too dirty to be able to approach Jesus. Some of you maybe even thinking, maybe you're watching the live stream or thinking, you know what, it, it, you know, Pastor Keith, if you only knew about my past, I don't know about your past, and maybe that's a really great thing, I don't know about your past, but Jesus does. And you know what? He, he's, he loves you, and he's, and he's inviting you into relationship with him anyway. Others of us think about other people. That person is so dirty, and it's, their life is such a mess, God possibly could never turn that person's life around. You ever think that before? Um, if we're honest, there's probably somebody in our lives that we thought, thought that way about. And, and Jesus and John didn't fit the stereotype. And this leads me to the, the next and final point, and this is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time, and that is that Jesus, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's not only faithful to the unfaithful. You know, and I, you've heard me say this, that Jesus, like, that God can handle your big questions. Like, there's no question you can ask him where God will say, I didn't think about that one before. Right? Or no doubt, like your doubts, like God's grace and His mercy are bigger than your doubts, right? Like, so just, just remember that. And, and here in the rest of the passage, and really just this last verse in verse 19, I just want to camp on this that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. And, um, and, and He hung out with sinners. I talked about that last week tax collectors, prostitutes. Other people that, that, that were ostracized. Every time Jesus exposed his deity, though, every time he kind of let people see that he's not just 100% human, but he's also God in flesh, do you know what the response was? Fear and, and uh, discomfort. Remember, remember in Mark, uh, Jesus went to this uh, one region and there was this guy who was possessed by a bunch of demons called Legion. Jesus cast the demons out into some pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff and they died. And what did the community want Jesus to do? Leave him. Leave him. Get away from here. We don't, we don't want you here. On another occasion with Peter, James, and John, when they were, you know, they were professional fishermen. And so they had fished all night long. And Jesus was preaching the next day in that same area uh, along the beach there and, 
and there just masses of people were there, and they wanted to hear Jesus. So Jesus got in one of the boats and had the guys push him out a little bit so to make room for people, and he preached. And when he finished preaching, he asked Peter, hey, uh, let's go fishing. And Peter's response was um, kind of like the response you may have had to like your mom or dad or, or maybe somebody you care about who asked you to do something. You can really respect that person, or you tried it, didn't work, and then they say, well, do it again. And, and if you really respect that person or you want to avoid an argument, what do you do? Okay, I'll do it again, right? And so what did Peter do? He said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You can almost hear the sarcasm here. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. I'm the fisherman, you're the preacher, but we'll just go do it your way. And so they did. And so they cast the nets out, and then immediately the nets started filling up with fish. Like, I mean, it's crazy. And so they put the fish in the boat, and there was so much fish that the boat started, was in danger of sinking, so they got another boat and filled that boat up with, with fish, and that boat was in danger of sinking. And what did Peter do? Like, what was his response? What did he say? Did he say, hey, this is awesome. I, I, I mean, I could retire early if we do this every day. Hey, Jesus, how, how about us? let's meet in the same area, and let's go fishing again. You're my new fishing buddy. Like, did he do that? No. What did he, what did he say? He said, this is what he said. He fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, I should not even be in your presence. If you only knew me, if you only knew who I was, you wouldn't even be in this boat in the first place. While sleeping in the stern of the boat, later on, there was this violent storm, and when Seasoned fishermen are afraid of the, that their lives might be in jeopardy while on a boat. You know it's bad, right? Anybody see Deadliest Catch? I love that show um, because I'm not on the boat, but uh, I'd feel differently if I was on the boat. Um, but when they're like afraid for their lives, you know it's bad. Jesus was sleeping. And so they woke him up and he said, hey, if you only cared about us, I mean, you'd be up and you'd be helping us bail water. And so Jesus, is one of those moments where he said, where's your faith? And he got up and he rebuked the storm. And immediately it was quiet. That's what we're told. Everything calmed down. What was their response? They were horrified. The disciples were horrified. They were terrified. You know why? And I encourage you, you can write this down, you take out your phone, put it on your little notes thing, uh, read Psalm 107, verses 23, verses 32 sometime. It's the fisherman's psalm. The disciples would have, uh, the fishermen of the disciples would have had it probably memorized. They probably sang it. Every time it got wild and crazy out uh, on sea, it was probably one of those ones they went to. Um, it's kind of like when I'm on an airplane and the turbulence gets really rough. You know what I do? I stop talking to you, put on my headset, and listen to some kind of praise song or whatever. Um, that's what they would do. And you know what that psalm says? It says basically that the only being in all of creation that has authority and the ability to quiet storms is God himself. So you know what the disciples asked? It said, well, we're told that they were filled with terror and, and, and they were scared and, and they asked this question. We know what Psalm 107 says, but who is this that has authority over the storms? We don't know what to do with them yet. Right? Uh, and then there was another instance where uh, Jesus was, uh, well, he told his disciples, hey, guys, listen, 
um, meet me over on the other side of the, the sea of Galilee. Just, I'll, 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 I'll catch up with you. Like, oh, it's okay. So they left. And in the middle of the night, you know who they saw walking on the water? Jesus. And what was their response? That is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Is that what they said? No, they were petrified. They're like, oh my goodness. Like, is this a ghost? Like, and they were horrified. Uh, and then Peter, once he realized it was Jesus, did what Peter typically did. Um, he said, hey, can I do that? And it didn't go so well for him, right? He stepped on the water and then he sank. Um, and there's another, another instance. There's just one other example. And there's many, many examples. But uh, Judas, when he betrayed Jesus with a kiss, when the soldiers and the, and, the, and the religious leaders came to arrest Jesus in the garden, Judas led them there. And uh, when they asked, where is Jesus of Nazareth, we're told Jesus stepped forward and he said, I am he. And do you know what the response was of, of everybody who was seeking him? They drew back and fell to the ground. All of those responses were appropriate responses. We, we, we think that because of who Jesus is, that, that he is unable and, or incapable of, of approaching us because of our sin or our background, our history, our baggage, you know, what we did last week or last night that, that, that just prohibits Jesus from entering into relationship with us or to being a, a, a friend of sinners. That some, for some reason we think that he's got a cap on, on what he will tolerate in terms of our relationship with him. Or what he, or, you know, <clears throat> like there's at some point where he'll get to a place where he'll say, enough, I'm defriending you now. Uh, I don't want nothing to do with you. Now, he will do that with people who don't know him. We're told about that. There's a judgment coming. But for those who truly belong to him, he's a friend of sinners. Regardless of where we are at or what our history is. And for sinners and tax collectors to draw near to Jesus, for everybody around Jesus, was not only shocking, but it was scandalous. It was scandalous. In fact, the frequent question that, people, that religious leaders would ask about Jesus when there was somebody of questionable character around him, so don't, don't they, doesn't he even know who, who's touching him? Do, do they, does he even know who this is around him? If he's a prophet, surely he, he would have known. Rabbis and prophets don't associate with people like that. Jesus was invited to a home of a Pharisee, Simon, who uh, had other people there. Uh, we find out later in the story there were other people there. My guess is that he didn't invite Jesus there because he wanted to build a relationship with Jesus. I think he wanted to find a way to either silence Jesus or, or trap Jesus in, in some way. So he was there and uh, invited to lunch or dinner. And the thing you need to know about that culture is that you wore sandals, and the, dirt, the, floor, the ground was very dirty. And, and so when you ate a meal, the furthest part of your body that was away from you was what? Your feet, right? Because they smelled and they were dirty. Sometimes, uh, or often, uh, homes would have kind of a, a bowl of water to where the feet could be washed. And if you were a guest of honor, somebody would wash your feet for you. Um, and, and so... Jesus was invited to this, to this meal, 
And somebody else invited herself. Once she found out that Jesus was there, she invited herself to this meal. And we're told that it was a woman of the city. Have you ever, you, you know what that means, right? She's a prostitute. And uh, she, I, I don't know how this all happened, but she walked into the house. It's probably one of those moments where Simon was there and he sees her walk in. You ever kind of are so stunned by somebody's actions, you don't know what to say, you just kind of watch it play out, and then you think, maybe I should have stopped them at the door. <laughs> you, ever, you ever think that? Well, maybe that's what happened. But she walked in and she had a flask of what would be like perfume. It's called ointment in the scriptures here. And it was probably worth about a, a year's worth of wages. And she poured it on his feet and she was, these weren't like little tears. She was sobbing at his feet, wiping his feet with her tears and her hair as she poured perfume over his feet. Now, how many of you have ever washed anybody's feet? Okay. It, it, you know, voluntary? Like, was it a voluntary thing? Like, you wanted to do that? Um, besides your kid. Kids don't count. Like, I, I, so I had one of those moments where uh, I had an argument with the Holy Spirit, and I lost. And so it was, I was, it was right before we officially launched Missio Day Fellowship, and we had a core team, and we were meeting with the core, I was meeting with the core team, just planning what this church was going to look like, what we're going to do, and before one of the meetings that week, I felt like, it wasn't audible, it was just, I just sensed the Holy Spirit just impress upon me uh, that I needed to wash the feet of my core team, and I said no. Like, that's why I told, I told God, I'm like, oh, no way. I'm not doing that. And then the Holy Spirit was like, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And then we went back and forth for a while. That's kind of how it happens with me. Anytime God wants me to do something uncomfortable to me, I have an argument with him. And I, most of the time, I, well, I always lose. And so, so I finally gave in. The Holy Spirit won. And I walked into my meeting with a bucket and soap. And I said to our core team, I'm going to wash your feet. And they were like, uh, no. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, I'm going to wash your feet. And I, I said, I, I think the words I used were, I need to wash your feet. And they let me wash their feet. The most humbling thing I've ever done in my life was wash the feet of friends. I mean, I would do it for my wife, maybe for my children. But for, for friends, eh, you know. And so I finished washing everybody's feet, and, you know, everybody, felt, including myself, it felt very awkward. Um, and, and then when I finished, Ron Oaks, who was on the search committee that brought me to Northwest Baptist Church, the first church, he and his wife, Julie, who like, wore many hats while working with me, um, my administrative assistant, keep me in check, make sure my life was organized kind of person. She was also part of the launch team, the core team from Missy Day Fellowship. So Ron said, well, you washed everybody's feet, now it's my turn to wash your feet. And I wanted, everything in me wanted to scream, no. <laughs> Don't wash my feet. But but because of my role, I thought, oh, well, I'm kind of, I have to. I didn't say that out loud. I, and so I took off my shoes and feet, my shoes and socks, and he, Ron washed my feet. Oh, so humbling. I, would, I hope I never, ever, 
am asked by God to ever do that again, like ever. Um, this woman not only washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and perfume and her hair, but we're told she kissed his feet too. That's like, I mean, like washing feet here, washing them with your hair and your tears here. Kissing them at the same time, that is like up there, right? And so just picture it. Jesus, uh, Jesus is there. She's washing his feet. And, and, the, and Simon says, says, the Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, he thought to himself this, he would have known who, who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. I mean, you know, fill in the blank. I think the, I think the, the translators for the ESV were kind here in, in the way they translated this. And what did Jesus do? While he was looking at the woman, he said this. Listen, he, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. You know, and it wasn't because of what she did. It was how she felt and what she knew about Jesus that resulted in her actions. She knew that Jesus, in Jesus there was a better way than the way that she had been living. She knew that. And she knew that everybody else, she knew what everybody else thought about her, but she, she'd seen Jesus in action. And she knew, or she at least hoped, that when she approached him, he would not be repulsed by her. He would not be disgusted by her, but he would, uh, in, in him she would find forgiveness for her sins. Um, it's such a beautiful story. And so Jesus developed a reputation as being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We learn of uh, the life of the son who is given, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and the high priest who offers his righteousness in place of our unrighteousness, what we learn of him is that he is a friend who does not refuse the sinner and loves such people to make much, you know, to, to, he loves them too much to, to leave them as they are and, and, and there is no cap with his relationship with them. I've quoted from Dane Ortland's book multiple times and this book has been just a huge, huge blessing for me titled Gent Gently and Lowly. I'm going to read the quote. The, the words will not be on the screen. I just want you to hear this and use your imagination in light of just everything you've learned about Matthew chapter 11. But he said this, here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as the declaration of his justification of us objectively. You know what he's saying there? He's saying Jesus' friendliness towards us is as fixed as the forgiveness of our sins that was sealed at the cross and his resurrection. That, that, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that there is no condemnation for all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that that is firm and that is sealed and that is solid, that, 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 that there is no judgment you know, of hell for the Christian. And just as sure as that is, is also is Jesus' friendship with us is sure. Does that make sense? Like, that is great news. That is great news. Like, COVID-19 exposed a lot of relationships, a lot of marriages for how weak they, you know, they, they potentially were. Why? Because during, during lockdown, you were forced to stay with somebody with no break, and you got to learn some, some things about that person that, that you really didn't anticipate learning about, right? So, so uh, divorce, the divorce rate amongst um, marriages in America as a result of COVID rose 34%. 34%. That's what I read. 34, that's a lot. Marriages that were, you know, new marriages, like you're still in the honeymoon stage of, you know, six months or, or, or younger, like those, those marriages, uh, 20% of those marriages ended in divorce. Right? There was a cap, obviously, with somebody in, the, in, in, that, in those relationships. They're like, I can only tolerate so much. Being stuck in the house with you and being quarantined, it's divorce time. I got to get out of here, right? Um, not so with Jesus. Listen, Jesus sees the worst parts of you, and he, and he promises to never leave you or forsake you. The person sitting next to you, I guarantee you, I've been a pastor long enough, I know this is true of my own heart, has not seen the worst parts of you. My wife has not seen the worst parts of me. I have not seen the worst parts of her. And, 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 but Jesus, Jesus has seen it all. And he's still a friend of sinners. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. That's what we're told, if you belong to him. He invites all who come to him that he will never turn them away that he will never betray us. I've had some friendships that have ended because of stupid stuff I've done or stupid stuff that, that other person's done. I mean, praise God, our, we've been married for what, 22 years, or going on 22 years, and um, it's not all been easy. Uh, I think I'm more difficult to, to, to live with, probably. But Jesus, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. There's this passage in Revelation chapter 3, and by the way, just so you know this, Revelation is not written about, and I said this, I'm going to say it again, because I feel like I need to say it. There's, especially during this weird pandemic thing, everybody thinks the world's going to end. It will one day, uh, but Revelation is not about how the world will end. You know what Revelation is about? The book of Revelation is about the majesty and authority of Jesus Christ, that even in the midst of suffering, uh, if we're with him, we win. And, and so the first three chapters are written to seven churches. It addresses seven churches. The most jacked up of the churches is the one that this verse is referencing, Laodicea. And, uh, and this is what Jesus said to that church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's a passage in Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, it's also 
known as in the Old Testament. It's the, it's the, lo- the book on love, uh, relationship. There's a verse in there, or passage in there, where it says, says this. I think it's in chapter 5, but it says, My beloved came, and he was knocking on the door. He wanted to come in with me. And I waited, and I waited, and when I finally opened the door, he was gone. Do you know what Revelation chapter 3 is saying? Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock, and I am not going away. I am not going away. The Son of God was given for you and for me, and he is a friend of sinners. Let's Read this passage. You're familiar with this already, right? Let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace was given for us as a friend to sinners. Amen? Like that is so, that's such good news. You know, there's, like I said last week, there's nothing that we can bring to God's table of forgiveness and mercy and grace. We come empty, with empty hands. Nothing, nothing but ourselves can we bring. And uh, as a result of what Christ did for us on the cross, that our sins can be forgiven. If you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, or maybe you're just trying to figure it out, maybe you're like, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I, I've been coming, or I, maybe you're watching the live stream, maybe checked onto the live stream for the first time, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm looking for answers. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Keith, but um, I still have some, some questions. Well, if any, if any passage in the Bible is taught you anything, like Matthew 11, God can handle your questions. You don't have to have all your questions answered, but what you need to settle in your own heart is that Jesus lived the life that you could never live. And you know that. I know that, right? I, uh, we're not perfect. He was and is. And so he lived that life, obeyed every law of God. And uh, he died on a cross for your unrighteousness and for my unrighteousness, for your sin, for my sin. And uh, the Bible says that if we believe in him, if we believe in him, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Not because of what we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be forgiven. I feel that. It is the greatest news in the universe. It has transformed my life. And I believe if you feel that and you really believe that, I promise you, I promise you, not only will Jesus show you a better way, but he he will change your life. Not everything all at once, but he will change your life. Some of that change will be messy and long. <laughs> uh, your spouse sitting next to you or somebody who knows you really well is saying, yep, that's the truth. Um, in other areas of your life, it's you know, like that. And uh, where God, God changes you. Like One of the things that went away really fast for me was I had a horrible mouth. Like The moment I gave my life to Jesus, that was gone. I had no desire to curse. But not everything was gone. There was other stuff in my life that I still battle with today. And so I praise God that Jesus is, there's no cap on his relationship. That he's not throwing in the towel on me. He promises never to leave me or forsake me, and the same is true for you.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the message of Christmas that unto us a son was given, unto us the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was given, unto us a priest was given who gives us his righteousness, unto us a friend who will never leave us or forsake us was given. That that is the message of Christmas and all who, who place her faith and trust in him will find that in the Son. We thank you for our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.